totally get it. Yeah, and by no means are, are I think either of us saying that emotional support animals are not a thing. They're absolutely a thing. Your emotional peacock is not though. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I could fall in love with a peacock, too. How would that peacock I mean, stop you from getting anxious? They, all those spots on the tail. Plumage. They fan out. Yeah, that's very comforting. But then you know they're looking for someone else because you're not doing it. Oh, right? I see. They're, they're like advertising that, yeah. yes. Yeah. Dear Sigmund. Hi, this is uh, Dear Sigmund. And we are a podcast, and we answer listener questions who write in. And I am Dr. J.P. Shan. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist, um, and uh, I guess that's it, and forensic psychiatrist. They're not the same. No. Oh. Well, I'm a psychiatrist for both, but I have different specialties. I have a subspecialty in psychiatry, so I'm board-certified in the specialty of psychiatry. So I'm an MD with a specialist in psychiatry and a subspecialty in forensic psychiatry. So you're fancy. So fancy. Mm-hmm. Fancy pants. I am Shannon Miller. I am a licensed clinical social worker. So I am a social worker with a specialty in clinical social work, which is behavioral health. And right now I'm appropriately sitting in front of the microphone as Jesse requested that I do. Thank you. <laughs> um, First question? Yeah, let's just jump right into it. Dear Sigmund. Can you explain how to talk or not to talk about disorders at the workplace? What and how much the colleagues around you should know and understand? There is a clear stigma out there about mental health, even though silently many of us suffer. We, with some teammates, have found solace in, taking, in talking about things rather openly. More people have started to, quote, come out of the cupboard, quote. We feel that being open helps us helps not only us, but also others. But the, risk are, but the risks are there. So where to draw the line? Wow. That is a, that is a very personal question, I think. Um, one that definitely you could work on with your... But it's very prevalent, though, in the era of COVID. Yeah. I, I would just say that, I, I mean, it's very hard to say where to draw the line for everybody because I right. think this is going to be a really individual time. I think, you know, his come out of the cupboard... Statement, I think we use come out of the closet very mm -hmm. commonly. Mm -hmm. um, and that is different for everybody. Like, when are they comfortable? When are you self-assured enough to mm -hmm. feel confident in your ability to own who you are as a person? This is me. This is what makes up me. But also, what context are you in, too? What is the climate and culture to of yeah. your organization? Also, what role do you occupy within that organization? Mm -hmm. Are we discussing mental health colleague to colleague? you know, employee to boss, boss to employee. Like at what level are we sharing? I mean, this is lots of different layers of how do we talk about this. But I think one thing globally, I think we can all agree on is that the time is ripe right now during COVID to talk about this. Because I think stigma is there. I think it always will be there. But I think that some of it's been erased because we've all been reduced to sort of our like we've all been brought to our knees by this yes, yes. all of us it is a, and there, there's an, compassion yeah, right now in the literature hot topics so right now there's a very hot topic isn't that a in store society. at the mall that's where i got my ears pierced oh and yeah button. but and my mom button. doesn't know about Tongue? that yet so Tongue? <laughs> <laughs> glow in the dark <laughs> they um oh, yeah, you're so not it, talking it about really the other piercing topic. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
Look at you squirming just really, even mentioning listeners, it. Listeners, I'm blushing. Uh-huh. <laughs> this idea that, um, yeah, it, it is much more appropriate to talk about now than it ever has been in the past. And I do feel strongly that that will only improve from this point forward. It does feel like we are on a roll of being more comfortable with acknowledging our own adversities um, and those around us are more comfortable with accepting those, you know, whether it be anxiety or depression or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then treatment uh, is also more accessible than it ever has been. I think that, Really uh, I'd argue to, with that. Well, I mean, we it's, it's limited. More exce- right. It's limited, but but now, like the wait lists right now, huge, like huge. people cannot get the help that they need because everybody needs it. Like yes. we we are fully experiencing that gap between supply and demand. Got it. Right now, per- well put. So let me rephrase it. Mental health parity was a very large deal in terms of um, getting insurance companies to yes. pay for mental health just as though it were any other evil. disorder. The root of all evil. <laughs> so, and, and that's, I guess, where my, my statement right. came from, which right. was it's more accessible than ever. It used to be... Insurance companies are t- now acknowledging, <laughs> hey, it's kind of <laughs> legit. Right. It's a real thing. I guess it's a real thing that we have to pay for now. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, so in that regard, it is more accessible. There are definitely wait lists, and certainly during this time of COVID, those wait lists have gone up because everybody is suffering more, as, as you identified, uh, Shannon. But um, certainly, we are trying to do things from our end, and I know the whole mental health field has really been trying to adjust to the demand. Um, virtual visits have, have become more and more common. Mm-hmm. Um you see more self-help, more apps on the on the phones and computer and like what you do, virtual visits, mm-hmm. um, you know, really decreasing, if not totally eliminating the, the barrier of the distance to get to your therapist or your provider. Yeah. I think back to what this listener was asking was like where's mm-hmm. the boundary where do i draw the line what do i do i would say one consider the role that you're in mm-hmm. and who are you disclosing to are you disclosing to the organization at large are you disclosing to a smaller group hr hr often needs to know these things exactly um and i would say a couple keys to that would be um if you are an employee going to your boss I would say know your rights before you go into it. Know the laws, know the rules. Yeah. And go into it with confidence. As if you were speaking about a physical ailment. Mm-hmm. As if it was, you know, cancer, diabetes, any of the other ones that more commonly get um, acknowledged. Yes. So know your laws, know your rights, and go in and own it with confidence. Yeah. That this is what's going on. Because, like, just saying, like, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and right. know that there are a lot of protections for individuals right. with health But uh, a lot issues. of our listeners aren't in America. We've right. got a lot of people around the world Fair that enough. they're, not only do their countries, but then within that, then their organizations don't have the same protections mm-hmm. that we supposedly yeah. have here. So know your know your Know your local laws, laws your right. local laws. And the culture of your company. Yeah. Is it more appropriate to go to HR or just go directly and talk to the boss? 
And then should you tell your colleague? Because if your colleague is going right. to have a stigmatization or a judgment against you, are they going to go to the boss and say, oh, hey, I'm really worried about so-and-so because they told me this? Right. You want it to also be in your control. You don't right. want it to become out of your control. Right. And so you own that, I think, in part with the confidence. Yeah. Of And, and write it down. Write down what you want to say and practice it. That's a, That's fair. You know, like. Be clear with yourself of what you want to say. The other thing, too, is if you just want to disclose to, like, one person or a small group, consider your relationship with that person and why you would be telling them. Mm -hmm. If it's just quite simply like, oh, I just got to get it out there, um, you know, you just want to yeah. weigh it out. And, and, and also, if you're asking, like, yeah. if you're coming to me, like, let's just say that you might suspect something's up with me. Before you go and approach me and say, hey, I noticed that you're depressed. Maybe you should get some help. You really want to consider what's your relationship with me and what's your motivation for saying something like that to me? If mm -hmm. it's just voyeuristic of like, hey, I heard you went through a bad breakup, so <laughs> totally depressed. <laughs> no, that's totally not appropriate yeah. at all. In fact, it's quite insulting. So... Consider your relationship and consider your own motivations. And then if you still decide to proceed, you want to go with just observation, right? And you just want to say, hey, I noticed that, like, you're just not yourself lately. Like, you, you've been kind of disconnected or whatever the symptom is that you see. And you just want to make the observation, not judgment. Mm -hmm. It really pisses me off when you don't answer my emails on time. That's totally different than saying, hey, I noticed that like your response time on the emails has taken a while. I just want to see if there's anything that I can do, kind of check in, see what's going on. Two feel totally different. One yep. becomes all about me and my pissiness, and the other is all about the other person. Yeah, an observation. So consider yeah. how you're doing it. And then just think positive thoughts is like the most offensive thing you could ever say to anyone. It's not that simple. You want to be in listen mode. Don't offer advice. Don't tell them what to do. Just listen. So if you go to someone and say, hey, I'm kind of noticing, and they do decide to start talking, shut up and listen. Yeah. Just kind of goes back to our last episode. Oh, what do you have to be depressed about? You got a great job. Look, you're, you're ahead of me. You're my boss. Or, you know. It's just riddled with shame <laughs> and judgment. And the person's already kind of primed to interpret things that way. Yeah. Just listen. And that prime is, is a good example because it sounds like I'm just listening to this and I'm thinking the reason that we're talking about this is because of the stigma of mental health, mm -hmm. right? And we are really catering to those people who may take things the wrong way or make assumptions about us mm -hmm. based on what we tell them about our own experiences and our way of interpreting the world and what we can diagnose as potentially anxiety or depression. But in order to reduce some of that anxiety, excuse me, uh, stigmatization, uh, around what it sounds like we may be playing into, I would also give the same advice about somebody who has cancer and disclosing it to their yeah. workplace or All know, of it. diabetes or something seriously, you know, one mm -hmm. of your other medical conditions. One of your other physical ailments that is yeah. like visibly noticeable yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. So I just want to reset that because I was hearing us talk and I was like, wow, it really sounds like we're playing into this stigma. But I, I, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying not to. But we do have to acknowledge that there is a stigma around it. Absolutely. Um, I would even say as a boss, if someone's coming to you and saying, hey, you know, this is really going on in my life. This is what I'm doing. Um, as the boss, you know, you can offer 
whatever's within like your company norms. Mm-hmm. And if your company norms aren't supporting it and you feel like it could do a better job, please, 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 please work to make those company norms more empathic to yeah. people with mental health things. But the flexible schedule. If the nine to five mm-hmm. schedule isn't working for that person with depression, what works? Let's work around that. Let's get what works. Shorten the deadlines. You yeah. know, break down the massive goals into smaller, easily attainable goals. And don't harp on them so much. They know they're there. We don't have to reference them all the time. Smaller, chunk the work levels, basically. Mm-hmm. Make it a more manageable thing. Um, affirm, 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 affirm. You know, you're doing great. Yeah, from peer to peer? Peer to peer, even boss to peer, so mm-hmm. long as it's legitimate. Like, you don't want to fake it and, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows. But you may not be a person who naturally gravitates towards affirming each other or your employees. I really like that this listener has found a group of other individuals who also are in the same boat. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, sometimes these things can feel so isolating until you speak up. And then, oh, oh, everybody, oh yeah, everybody here, yeah, we're all going through the same thing, got it. And all of a sudden, it takes this huge weight off of what you thought you were, you know, in a boat alone. Turns out that everyone was also in the boat alone until you said something, or at least dropped the hint and then got the feel and the temperature of the room, and then you realized, oh wait, are we all, are we all going through the same thing? Oh yeah, you too, Mitch. Oh, oh my gosh. As the yeah. goddess of mental health, Brene Brown says, shame lives in darkness. <laughs> oh yes. And once you give um, breath to what's going on and you put it out there in the air, it becomes less weighty. Yeah. Because shame can't live in the light of day. It cannot live when you put it out there for others because what you're going to find what happens is the human experience is very, very common. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling it, chances are someone else's as well. I like what you said about this idea of that there's no better time, like right there's now. no better time. Because everybody, even if they don't meet a clinical diagnosis of anxiety and you say, hey, I've got this anxiety over this, this, and this, everyone in the room is going to turn and be like, yup, mm-hmm. me too. I've got anxiety about this, this, and that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, and so there really can find some camaraderie in this. And maybe you could really open up some mm-hmm. of your colleagues' eyes to maybe acknowledging that there is help out there. Mm-hmm. If you're the individual, if this listener, obviously this listener is listening to us, maybe they're seeking their own treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, you can also be that person for other people of of the guiding light. You know, this mm-hmm. idea of like, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm also in this boat. And by the way, it sounds like you might be since you just opened up to me. I know that treatment has helped me in this way or in that way. And this is the way stigma gets lifted. I and didn't find this podcast. That's the other thing. You want to make sure that you don't fall into the de facto therapist role. If, oh, if yeah. you're the person that they sort of reveal themselves to, you want to sort of know within yourself of when it's time to consult out. Like you're not just a listen. Like this needs more than a listening ear. Yes. This needs like, hey – I think maybe you should talk to someone, you know, know those resources. So, sorry, man, I can't have you talking to me about this anymore. Yeah. No, you want to say, hey, I know the name of a good therapist. Maybe you should. You know, you I've know. told I've told patients that I sought therapy. I tell all my patients. All the I time, do. right? All of I them mean, I do. I think that we can really, by sharing our own experiences, lift the stigma 
And I've spent a long time trying to fight and talk about stigma. I wrote an article a long time back called... Uh, Look at you, fancy. It's, it's my parody, and I'll cry if I want to. Aww, it was all about mental health cute. parody in the world. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and the Insurance Act and Kennedy and all these things that went way back. But um, Kennedy? Yeah, big, big advocate for mental health parody. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this idea that uh, I think that that's what this podcast is somewhat for me, too talking about these things very naturally and openly and just like it's anything else and giving access to some of this information can help lift some of this stigma. Yeah, that it's not, it doesn't exist in its own silo. There's no secrets and there's no, you know. There's no shame. Yes. Something we can talk about very freely and openly and easily. In fact, it's recommended for therapists and psychiatrists to have their own therapy. It is. It's actually mandated in my program. My, my residency program was mandated. It wasn't mandated well, maybe in not. mine, right. but it was definitely... Part of the curriculum. I mean, I basically any tr- add-on training that I've done yeah. has said you will never be a good therapist unless you're in therapy yourself. Mm-hmm. You ought to be on the other side. And I firmly, firmly believe in yeah, that. Yeah, I go back every once in a while. I got heavy yeah. things. And... Once in a while. I yeah. go back every other week, every third week. Oh, yeah. Like Sorry. I meant like I do like cycles. So I'll like see a therapist for a while and I'll be like, okay, I think I'm getting it back together. I'm going to use a bunch of those skills that I learned in therapy. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, practice yeah, yeah. in a while and then, you know, take a little hiatus for a while and then go back again. Oh, yeah. I don't cycle. No? I, I just, just like, straight through. Well, because also. I don't have that kind of money. You're the Expensive. problem solver. Yeah, I know. I'm not making psychiatry money, but. Um, <laughs> no. I, can, I have a hard time like biting yeah. the bullet of, of you know. Yeah. It, it, it is such an investment, though, and it is so worth it. Oh, I worth expense it. it, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I totally expense it. But even for our, you know, it, it is very worth it. But but to me, though, it's a cost of doing business, right? Like, it's a cost of making sure that I'm the best therapist I could be, but also the best of all the other roles I occupy as well. Because Mother, during wife, the day... You mean? Dominatrix, yeah. During the day... I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> During the day, I'm the emotional container that a lot of people put their stuff into. Yeah. And most days, I can be totally fine with that. But if there's something going on with me and I'm still the emotional container, I happily do that. But then I need a place to put it as well. It's right here. You, so basically, seen how I this, trickle down. This question has gone to like, <laughs> it's all about us now. We're just talking about our own therapy. Of course. <laughs> of course. Isn't it always about us? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, mental Great health question. in the workplace. Great question. Now is the time when you want to talk about it. I would say if you're the boss, creating a culture of caring and acceptance, mm-hmm. being clear about um, what the company can do for you, and maybe even working on that side of policies and systems that can really take care of employees. Yeah. And know the policies and systems and work within them. Mm-hmm. And if they're awful, try to fix them because mm-hmm. there are a lot of policies out there. So if you're in any position of power and you recognize, hey, this probably isn't the best policy. If for it's not working for working you, under. I yeah, guarantee it's, it's not, not working for your subordinates. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So. Totally. All right, Jesse. Dear Sigmund, what do you think of big online therapy places where you pay a monthly fee and you get matched with a therapist? The whole matching thing reminds me of a dating app. Do they really work? Match.com, I'm assuming they're talking about. I think they're talking about like BetterHelp and Talkspace. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It reminds me of a dating app, though, and then they use the word match twice. I'm assuming it's Match.com, who is not one of our sponsors, so I'm going to stop saying their name. Um, 
match if you want airtime. I don't know. I do not know about this, but I will say that there have been some studies out there that I've identified that these therapy... Charlatans. Kinda, <laughs> no. These things that connect you with a therapist are a great start and better than nothing by far. Hugely better than nothing. So mm -hmm. if this is your only opportunity, you are not in a position to be able to seek an individual therapist, a therapist that you feel you connect with, um, or an in-person therapist, then absolutely this yes. is the next best thing. Yes. Um, Sharon just put her hair up. That means it's getting serious. It means it's getting hot but in here. <laughs> this, and then even these apps online, like Headspace, you're right. Well, it sounds like this one connects you with a therapist is what they said. And then there's some other mindfulness apps like Calm and kind of like those things also have some role to play. That would never replace the role of a therapist, though. Um, and then I think it's a great add on service. Though. Yeah, that's a good. Point. But in terms of like better help and talk space, I kind of have mixed feelings on them. I've never used them. Have you explored them? At I've all? not used them. I full transparency. I did go through their application process just to see what it was like to be a therapist. No, to be a client. Okay. Because I wanted to get the, because my business is based totally online. I wanted to get their user experience oh, so nice. I could. Basically, I was stalking them. Still there. Yeah, total steal business intel platform. kind of stuff. Right. Yes. Good call. But what struck me was this Copyright idea pending. of a monthly fee and then unfettered access. Yes. Like for $49.99 a month or whatever it is, you can text or email your therapist as much as you want. And is it an individual Holy fucking therapist? no boundaries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great like, point. Whoa. So what, Shannon, what you're referring to is that there are boundaries in interpersonal relationships. And one of the things a therapist does is helps you explore and learn and practice within those boundaries of all of your relationships in your life. Mm -hmm. And this is one area mm -hmm. that you can have a very structured practice at that. And what you're saying is when you just <laughs> remove that altogether, that is not very – it, it – is not consistent with the therapeutic model at large, at least historically. There's there may no, be better ways to do things, though. There is no long-term data that says that therapy via email or text works. It is about the human relationship. Yeah. When we remove the human relationship from therapy, we the results aren't good. So I would say if your budget can allow it, always choose face-to-face -face interaction. And face-to-face -face mm -hmm. being Zoom or in-person because science is telling us that online therapy face-to-face -face in real time so that we're actually in relationship with each other is just as effective as sitting in the same room together. Mm, but what's good. not effective is the texting and the emailing. And I, I, I mean, bet you there's a lot of canned responses in there. I don't know anything about it, but I wonder if there's like Like these, a bot's actually yeah, answering right. you? right. AI. Well, I look at it from the therapist's perspective, and it's like, I need to have boundaries. Like, when I'm done, I'm done. I don't want my phone to be dinging with your issues. I've got my own issues to deal with. Like, and is it one therapist, or do you think it's like the on-call therapist will answer? No, it's your therapist. And that, that one, John Smith, my therapist, is available to me 24-7. I can text John Smith whenever I want. That is a nightmare. I feel bad exactly, for John Smith. Exactly. I mean, that's my understanding of it all. Um, so I think that... There's a lot of promises, mm -hmm. uh, uh, over-promising, under-delivering, but not with maliciousness, just mm -hmm. that it's not as effective. If what you can afford is one of the large conglomerates and this is what you get, 
Absolutely. Absolutely do it. Forty nine ninety nine for unfettered access to a therapist I don't sounds know what it is. too good to be true. I right. know, but that right. is amazing. Unfettered access to anybody. I mean, at that right. level of training is really. But here's the other. Okay, wow. as a therapist, I know that someone who I sent one of my blog emails out to out to open my email two hundred and forty five times. I don't want that person having unfettered access to me. Mm-hmm. There are those concerns that I have. I bet to the consumer, though, it feels really good to know. I mean, that is. But then you're doing the disorder a lot of times. That's what I was. You're supporting the disorder. Say, it is so reassuring to know that any and I every time I feel I overwhelmed, boom, you are at my fingertips. Uh, but yeah, that is not really practicing that comfort zone of okay. How can I utilize my coping skills? Or distress tolerance. Yeah. Building distress tolerance. How do I lean into being uncomfortable? Okay, I really want to ask her, but I shouldn't. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm... Do we answer the question? I don't know. Do they really work? I would say I the, the time that you spent face-to-face with your therapist mm-hmm. is the time that you would have most likely where therapy would quote-unquote work. I'll do some I'll do some reading on that though. Maybe we'll come back to that question too. I'll, I want to look up what the literature says. I mean, it's very new, right? This is very new, so I don't know if there. And there's really all sorts of new ones too, like like the pill is one or true pill. I'm sorry, true pill and ginger and like there's tons yeah. of them out there now. I just heard online the other day. I'm listening. I'm sitting in my car, and it says, "Are you having trouble getting a marijuana license or oh, are prescription?" You have you had a hard time and just uh, overwhelming experience of trying to get your marijuana license through a practitioner who has to see you in person, then you have to pay money? Well, just call us and we guarantee we will give it to you or your money back. Like, you can't see my that? jaw hitting the floor yeah. and my eyes about. Well, for me, my version of that is the emotional support animal back. letter. Oh, yes. Yeah. I need the emotional. I need my pet lizard with me in, you know, seat 38A with me. No, you fucking don't. <laughs> I have gotten a lot of those requests. Yeah. How how long do I have to see you before you'll give me this? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I used to Forever get those a lot. Forever is Until the So you don't need the dog anymore. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And my heart goes out to people that when COVID first hit and they were told you need to return to America and the airlines weren't allowing pets to travel with them because everything was flooded and the system wasn't working, I absolutely get it. And by no means are, are I think either of us saying that emotional support animals are not a thing. They're absolutely a thing. Your emotional peacock is not, though. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I could fall in love with a peacock, too. How would that peacock stop you from getting anxious? They, all those spots on the tail, plumage. And they fan out. Yeah, that's very comforting. But then you know they're looking for someone else because you're not doing it. Oh, right? I see. They're, they're like advertising that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I I really <laughs> I really think there's a lot of value to emotional emotional support. Animals. Support animals, absolutely, but you can't abuse the therapist client relationship to get that letter. Right. And I am I, only coming to you so that I can get this letter, so you will say what I want you to say, which is I need this pit bull, which my neighbor just gave to me. I literally got that request once. They came to me, saw yeah. me. They, they said, were in an apartment complex. Yeah, I need this letter for an emotional support animal. I was like, great. How's it going? How long have you had this dog? What's your diagnosis? My neighbor gave me the dog. I was like, what? Last week. And my landlord won't let me have it. So I need an emotional support letter. I was like, oh my, well, I mean, what kind of dog is it? It's a pit bull. 
It's like, why couldn't it be the, it's too aggressive. I was like, oh man, this is not the way that this is supposed to go. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There, there seems to be a lot of, of stretching of the ideas of what an emotional support animal is. And mm-hmm. we could probably go into another, mm-hmm. that another time. There's also a lot of stretching of what therapy is. Mm. Right. Bottom line for this question is any face-to-face time you have with a therapist that you're in a good relationship with is beneficial. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) Next question? Yeah, I think so. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Dear Sigmund, my mother lives in a constant state of denial. Her health is getting really bad, but she refuses to admit there is anything wrong. She won't see a doctor and gets really angry with me when I suggest that she go. I don't know if it's serious or not, but I'm afraid that if she doesn't take care of herself, whatever it is, it's going to become serious. How do I get her to see that she has to get checked out without ruining our relationship? Mm, It's probably not serious. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I, well. No, really, uh, this this is really difficult. This is a very nuanced question because it really probably depends on the personality and how your parent is going to react uh, to your nudging, right? How, what is the best nudge to give an individual to seek their treatment? Is it supportive? Is it, um, you know, hey, I, I will go with you. We can go together. Um, or is it, you know, instilling fear, like, which is probably what most people do. If you don't, then you will die. If you don't, then you will have a stroke. If you don't do this, then that. That is probably one of the worst things because individuals often don't seek help or treatment because they're afraid of what they might find out. Or right. they're, you know, if you can just ignore the problem, well, it's not a problem if I don't know about it. And I feel fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so trying to reinforce seeking the treatment for fear of the unknown or the, you know, extreme consequence of not seeking that outcome well that is just reinforcing the fear with more fear which is probably not super helpful so i would say probably don't do that uh what do you think um i think this is where the listener has to swallow a really big pill and accept their parents autonomy yeah and if they are refusing treatment and you know that's going to lead to a very particular outcome, your work is to accept that and not to convince them otherwise. It's around this radical acceptance idea. If they've not responded to your nudging, they've not responded to whatever else, you then got to step back and say, do I want the relationship? Mm-hmm. You know, do I buy, is this worth losing the relationship over? Because they're not going to comply no matter what. Right, like if a person makes up their mind, he will lose the relationship and they still will not comply. Mm. Do I keep the relationship? And it's around this radical acceptance of I accept their right to choose to be in denial. Or to seek, yeah, seek their own treatment when they want on their own terms. If they want to drink kombucha till the cows come home thinking it's going to cure cancer... And I value the relationship. I choose the relationship. Like, I think, and that's really hard. And then comes in the grief of <clears throat> the relationship you have. Sorry, back in front of the microphone, Jesse. The relationship that you have, the um, 
relationship you want, Mm -hmm. what was, what is, and what could be. You know, that whole thing of letting go of your vision and accepting what is. Um, This is a tough one. Because basically Mm -hmm. what you're saying is, I'm agreeing to watch a person, worst case scenario, die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are. Of a potentially preventable. I think that's the concern, is that... Of something that's totally preventable, right? Like they Something could have been done. Something could have been done. At what cost, though? Right. And I think that's the equation people need to work out. And often I think people are more aware of what they actually are deciding than what they will outwardly admit. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience. Maybe not for everybody, but. Yeah. That's, you know, that patient, that autonomy is so key in medicine right now. And that's the way that I practice, that I'm a a practitioner, that I will give you the information Mm -hmm. about treatment alternatives, Mm -hmm. risks and benefits of those alternatives, and you make the choice. And as long as you're making an informed decision, you have the absolute basic human God-given right to make that decision mm-hmm. because you have the information and you know that you are able to make that decision with the capacity you know, of doing so. Right. Now, you know, there are some outstanding cases where individuals don't have the capacity. There's somebody has, you know. And those are outliers that I don't think we're talking about with this one. Right. And those, that's where this parents patriot comes in and the state can kind of come in or somebody else can start making your decisions for you. But as long as you have the capacity, the, the ability rather to make these decisions, I think that has to be respected. Your emotional energy needs to go through grief and not forcing through shame shaming the person into going to the doctor and is this a fight for like quantity of time you know all Mm -hmm. the right everybody wants to extend life versus pay attention to the quality of life too there's a lot of well where do you stand on assisted suicide uh so i'm pro by the way i'll just own it i'm pro (laughs) I think, I think there's a lot of debate, and I think both sides have some very good points, but I am a I, I can say that Pennsylvania does not have this, and I will never assist in anything right. like that. It is my ethical and moral duty. Right. Should the discussion be had that there could be an easier way for some individuals um, to have more control? Death yeah. with dignity? Possible, yeah. I, w- yeah. I would say, here's, here's my response to your question. I think it's worth having the conversation so that those who want it can know that the conversation was had and this just wasn't buried under the carpet so that they couldn't have the outcome that they wanted because this is also about patient autonomy. You know that individuals who want that right or want that uh, have the ability to. But what's the benefit of denying someone that right? Um, okay, and let me just clarify that this has nothing to do with mental health now. We're talking about like people with like ALS and terminal brain cancer, so right? Is this what we're talking about? Well, what I'm wondering is like, let's, well, I don't know. Yes, that is what I was thinking, but let's just say we have somebody that has paranoid schizophrenia and a host of other things and they're just decompensating and they have these moments of lucidity where they can see their own decline. And they say, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Too complex. Okay. 
it's too complex to make that call because it's going to be very, very difficult to identify what lucidity is in that moment and what the ever-changing idea of okay. mortality and the ever-changing you know, thought process uh, is in an individual with, with probably a thought disorder, right? You're, you're talking about chronic, mm-hmm. severe schizophrenia. I'm ta- Yes. That would be very difficult. Okay. I would be much more in tune with the idea of discussing these things around individuals who have very serious, intractable, incurable, progressive diseases. Huntington's, ALS, um, you know, chronic terminal right. cancers. Right. Um, those kinds of things, I think the discussion is at least worth being What about had. profound depression? No. no I, I mean... That's a quick no. Why? Yeah, because because <laughs> I'm an ethicist, and I and I will say that I will I would entertain the conversation and the debate and the and the the thought that this is worth having the conversation. Yes, I will absolutely support that all day, every day. Would I be in favor of it right off the bat without knowing every intimate detail of that individual, the nuances, the ins and outs? No, of course you would. Be. Yeah. Of course you would. I mean, there would be have to be a whole ethical panel to oversee it. But, okay, this is totally putting you on the spot. Is there a case where you would see with someone with profound treatment-resistant depression might qualify? Is there ever maybe a scenario? Um. I have to say, I have to say at this point, probably for you know the public at large, I have to say no. I have to. Why do you have to? Because the, I don't know who's receiving this podcast. I don't know who's listening. Oh, we're I can't. Wow. Yeah, you can't. I can't go there. That's ooh. Yeah. No. Hard no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. I don't know the laws very much, but I'd be wonder curious about the laws in countries that allow assisted suicide, what their stance is on mental health. Generally speaking, at least in the U.S. that I know that the states that allow it, those do not qualify. Right, those do not qualify. But like um, Switzerland is mm. always sort of on the forefront. A little more progressive in this. Yeah, field. yeah. I I don't know. Okay. I would be interested in knowing at least. Yeah, or what their um, sieve is that they run people through. If if they do allow it, what is the ethical process then? What is the yeah. the um, policies that are in place that they would screen out and really make sure that we're making a lucid, informed decision? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's extremely difficult. And I will tell you, you know, for the question really is like, if this case scenario is this intractable, severe, resistant, I'll just say you haven't found the right treatment yet. And I will be an eternal optimist and I will continue to fight for you to get you better no matter what. That is where I will stand on that every time. And I will fight tirelessly to get you better. Or back to where you want to be. Whatever. The yeah, we could talk about this forever because I've got a lot of counter arguments to it that it's probably not the <laughs> podcast is the right place for it. But um, I'm sure it feels good to have a doctor take that stance on your side and believe in you when you don't believe in you. Yes. And I, and I often hear from people who will come to me and say, I've tried everything, doc. You try this? Nope. How about this? Nope. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. 
guess what? Those are my first two, and you said no to each. So t- I'm telling you that there are treatment options. Okay. absolutely treatment options out there. Something to think about. Always. And I think as, a, as an ever-evolving society, you know? Mm-hmm. We, the amount are, of new stuff I've learned just this week alone blows my mind. Not in here the in the last po- hour. In this no. podcast. No. Oh. I mean, like, from my <laughs> clients as well. Yeah. Like, do you find you learn a lot from your clients All or your time. patients? All the time. Like, this week, I've been totally in learn mode. <laughs> what was this question? Um, <laughs> something about, um, oh, mom won't go to the doctor. We went r- real. We it's went tangential. There's, we there's went way down the rabbit hole. Called, yeah, yeah. Tangential thought process. Mm-hmm. We're going to start at one idea and just go and go and go and go as a tangent. It's like a mathematical statement or, or a idea is a tangent. Uh, there's also the concept of it's circumferential. Yeah, geometrical. Yeah. yeah. kind of. I guess the way you can draw these out on the cir- circumferential ideation or, or thought process. You start at one area and then you take this really long way to get very back to the question. Um, I think we were tangential there. So <laughs> basically... How do I get her to see that she has to get checked out without ruining our relationship? The answer is you're not going to be able to accomplish that. Yeah, I think as long as you can... You have to respect her autonomy first and foremost. Yeah, and knowing that individual has all the information at their own, well, at their disposal, they know the risks and benefits and consequences of their decisions, and they make an informed decision, that is their autonomy. And you have to, that has to be respected. Now, if somebody is making a decision without... The capacity of doing so. There's a very different. Yes, that's a very different had. conversation. Okay. Well, on that lighthearted note, <laughs> oh, I think geez. we're about done for this heavy. episode. Yeah. Good. Thanks for listening. This is Dear Sigmund. Yeah. And DearSigmund.com. If our listener, the one person out there that's still listening to us, um, wants to know when the next episode comes out. Each episode comes out every Wednesday, um, ideally at. What is it? Zero, hundred hours, or however you say it, Zulu time. If I'm on it, maybe not, but that's about when it comes out. So every Wednesday we drop a new episode. Super. Keep listening. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.